is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review. With us today on Catholic Review Radio is Deacon Greg Kandra, and we'll be talking with him about his new book, The Busy Person's Guide to an Extraordinary Life. Deacon Greg Kandra is the multimedia editor for Catholic Near East Welfare Association, a pontifical society founded by Pope Pius XI in 1926. He oversees the agency's blog, One to One, and edits its award-winning magazine, One. He is also the creator of the popular blog, thedeaconsbench.com, where, as he says, a Roman Catholic deacon ponders the world. Pretty ambitious, I'd say. But before joining (laughs) Kniba, Deacon Greg spent nearly three decades in broadcast journalism, most of that time at CBS News. He's a Maryland native. He graduated from the University of Maryland. And Deacon Greg and his wife, Siobhan, live in Forest Hills, New York, where he serves as a deacon at Our Lady of Queen of Martyrs Parish in Queens. He's been our guest before on the show, so we welcome you back. Thank you. It's great to be here. So your new book from Word Among Us Press, which is based in our own Frederick, Maryland, is The Busy Person's Guide to an Extraordinary Life. It's just been published. Is this a follow-up to your other book, A Busy Person's Guide to Prayer? And if so, how are they different? Yeah, it sort of follows the same basic idea uh, about trying to to simplify and make accessible for as many people as possible something that seems very daunting. Uh, in the first book, it was prayer. How do you pray? How can you get started praying? How can you fit prayer into your life? The second book, which uh, was actually the idea of uh, my editor, uh, Beth McNamara, uh, a word among us, uh, this book is really trying to help people who are busy look at uh, living a more fulfilling life. And a big part of that, it basically is broken down into two sections. The first is loving God, and the second is loving your neighbor, following the two great commandments and using that as sort of your template. And by living that and following that, it can make your life more meaningful and extraordinary. Yeah, by dividing the the book into two parts, the love of God, the love of neighbor, as you said, why does that lead us to an extraordinary life? I mean, is it really that simple? Or that complicated, (laughs) that that challenging. It's it's not as uh, easy as it sounds. Um, Yeah, I think by focusing on those two things and trying to direct your life toward those, those two great commandments, it can yield tremendous riches and can really help make your life fulfilling and meaningful and and even holy uh, by focusing on God and our neighbor and learning how to do that, living that 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 ha- those habits um, can really be transformative and I think uh, can give a lot of meaning to your life. Nick and Greg, in the book. The Busy Person's Guide to an Extraordinary Life. You write that after reading Thomas Merton's uh, The Seven Story Mountain, what struck you was that faith makes sense of the senseless. How does this help people become extraordinary? Well, it, it helps keep you grounded and helps keep you focused on what really matters. 
I think so often we are distracted by the concerns and the worries of the world that we live in. And certainly the experience that we've had over the last 10, 11, 12 months with the pandemic has helped to refocus our energies and really made us think about what really matters and what's really important. And I think if you can build up your faith life and have an active and vibrant faith life and and an ongoing conversation with God, it can really um, make your life a lot more meaningful and and give some shape and direction uh, to the way that you live your life. Talk a little bit about the structure of the book. You've got a reflection. You've got some kind of little ways to break that down. Try this, consider this, pray this. What's that structure about and how does it work? Well, I wanted to make this uh, accessible and, and as practical as possible. And so the first thing I did was I reached out to friends of mine, uh, some of whom are friends from Facebook, some of uh, them are people in my parish, people who are in my life, and asked them to reflect on different aspects that I talk about in the different chapters so that people hear from other people, not just me. I don't want people to feel like I've got all the answers because I don't. <laughs> and I want to hear from other you know, smart, informed, thoughtful people uh, talking about what they think makes life meaningful and and extraordinary. So that's the first thing. And I also wanted to include some familiar quotes, or maybe not so familiar quotes, from some well-known people, uh, saints and writers and thinkers. The Pope is in here a few times. And give people some action ideas, some action items, things that they can do in daily life to, to try and focus on the different things that I focus on in the different chapters. You talk a little bit about, you know, that people can just live kind of a good life. They pray, they go to church, those kinds of things. What's the difference between that and this extraordinary life that you're talking about? I think it is a conscious choice to try and do something profound or something really meaningful. It's going out of yourself a little bit to uh, to spend more time with God, to spend more time with others, to live out the the works of mercy, to live life more intentionally and more prayerfully. It's not just showing up and going through the motions. It's going that extra step and paying attention to those two commandments in a very thoughtful and conscious way, um, you know, living them every day as much as you can, whenever you can. And that sort of kicks you up to the next level and makes you more aware of what you're doing and why you're doing it and the ultimate purpose, which is to draw closer to God. In the book, you share a little bit of your experience of where you kind of turned around and turned it up a notch after 9-11 in New York. Can you share that with us? Sure. Uh, I was working for CBS News at the time and uh, ended up being stuck in Manhattan when the towers fell. I couldn't get home to Queens. And so CBS uh, put me up in a hotel the night of September 11th. And when I woke up on September the 12th, the next morning to walk back several blocks to my office, uh, as I was leaving the hotel, there was a fireman who was checking in. And as he was checking in, uh, he was covered in ash. You could barely recognize him. And it really crystallized and made real everything that I had been writing about the previous day uh, when the towers fell. And it, it really brought it to life in a way that I hadn't thought of before. And over the weeks that followed, 
you couldn't get away from uh, the disaster. You, it was, it was everywhere. It was on the news. It was on lamp posts and on bus stops where people had put flyers saying, "Have you seen this person missing? Please call. We love you." Things like that. Going to the endless memorial services that we had in the city, the funerals. Uh, every night when you turned on the TV, the news led with another funeral and people playing taps. And it really made me think more seriously about my life and how limited life is. And, you know, we don't have forever. We all have an expiration date and it might come sooner than we think. And it made me ask myself, uh, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? Is this all there is? I I think I quoted the Peggy Lee song, is that all there is? Mm -hmm. And I realized, no, there isn't. And so I started making some retreats to a Trappist monastery. I got hooked on the writing of Thomas Merton. For a while, I was discerning becoming a, uh, a lay Cistercian, sort of a third order Trappist. But God sort of intervened and said, no, I want you to go in a different direction and pointed me toward the diaconate. And uh, here I am. It was, I know people who spend years discerning a vocation and trying to decide whether or not to pursue this. For me, it was a matter of weeks. Uh, it wow. happened very suddenly and uh, very powerfully. And here I am. There you go. In the afterword of the book, you reflect on how the pandemic has changed everything. Uh, and you say that being church is larger than being in church. I think I understand what you're trying to say, but isn't it also important that we be able to get back into church safely so that we can receive the Eucharist and be in communion and community with our fellow Catholics? Isn't that what we're hoping for and striving for? Oh, absolutely. And it's something that a lot of us miss. Uh, it's It was so hard in the beginning when I would go to our parish and we would record the mass and it would just be you know, me and the priest and there would be nobody in the pews. And you felt that absence, uh, that loss. You didn't feel like you were part of a community. It was very disconnected. And I think we've all felt that to one extent or another. Uh, we've been able to connect a little bit by Zoom and, and a few other things, but being church it does in, very much involve being in community and being with one another and having the shared experience with one another. But also, I think one of the things that we've learned over the last several months is that living the Christian life involves a lot more than just going to church. It, we are meant to live our faith out in the world as much as we can in, um, in very meaningful ways with one another and with people around us, and even with people who are not Christian or Catholic. But to try and, and create that sense of community outside the walls of the church is, is a real challenge. And that is what leads us to be extraordinary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I hope. Many parishes have done just huge outreaches to people who've been affected and, and infected you know, by the virus. Uh, and I think that that is the kind of thing that I witness and say, yeah, that's the church. The church is not just uh, when we're in the building, but it's when we're given to others and sharing with others. Absolutely. We have been talking today with Deacon Greg Kandra about his new book, The Busy Person's Guide to an Extraordinary Life. It's available from Word Among Us Press, and it's on Amazon and other places books are sold. If you want to look for it on Word Among Us, that's W-A-U dot O-R-G. 
wau.org. Thank you so much, Deacon Greg, for being with us today. Well, thank you for having me. After the break, we're going to talk with Edward Herrera about family activities for Advent. This is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Review Radio. news from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with a Catholic Review. Pope Francis has named Baltimore-born Bishop Michael W. Fisher, an Auxiliary Bishop of Washington since June of 2018, to head the Diocese of Buffalo, New York. Bishop Fisher, 62, is the Washington Archdiocese Vicar for Clergy and Secretary for Ministerial Leadership. In the role, he oversees the recruitment, formation, and care of the clergy for the Archdiocese. Bishop Fisher's installation mass will be celebrated January 15th at 2 p.m. in the Cathedral of St. Joseph in Buffalo. New York Cardinal Timothy M. Dolan will be the main celebrant. Born in Baltimore and raised across the street from Memorial Stadium, Bishop Fisher was baptized at St. Anthony of Padua in Baltimore and later attended the Church of Annunciation in Rosedale. In a 2006 interview with the Catholic Review, he spoke for his love for the Baltimore Orioles, an allegiance he maintained even after the Nationals brought Major League Baseball back to Washington. After studying at Mount St. Mary Seminary in Emmitsburg, Maryland, Bishop Fisher was ordained a priest of the Archdiocese of Washington in 1990. The eight-county Buffalo Diocese covers 6,500 square miles in western New York and is home to approximately 571,000 Catholics, with 161 parishes and 49 Catholic schools. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. Now that Advent is upon us, if you're looking for resources to help you celebrate, visit archbalt.org forward slash advent 2020 for video reflections from archdiocesan priests, news stories, special Advent blessings, and more. That's archbalt.org forward slash advent 2020. From the virtual newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm Kevin Parks. You are listening to Catholic Review Radio on 1160 AM and 103.1 FM WMBT, the Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome back to Catholic Review Radio. With us today is Edward Herrera, Director of the Office of Marriage and Family Life for the Archdiocese of Baltimore. And we're talking today about how families can prepare for Advent and Christmas. Welcome to the show, Edward. Great to be here, Chris. Great to be here. What are some of the best ways for families to prayerfully prepare for Christmas? Yeah, that's a a good one. I think Advent is always a kind of a a great opportunity for preparation. I think it's also one of the hardest times for families because of presents and just all of the the craziness kind of leading up to Christmas. But I I think the first thing uh, is really to to pick up an Advent wreath is a a great place to start. Um, And I I mean, I picked up my candles. They were down the stubs uh, yesterday, so we had to go and get some new ones. But I think an Advent wreath is always a great place, uh, a great place to start. Even if you weren't able to get your purple and rose candles, you can always just get some white ones and and tie some uh, purple ribbon around it. Uh, I was talking to a friend who did that the other day. So there's lots of creative ways that you can can do that Advent wreath, and it's a it's a pretty easy kind of starting point for families. That's a great idea. I hadn't thought about 
because you know people are having a hard time getting out to stores and things like that and so i hadn't thought about the fact oh i don't have purple and rose candles yep, what yep. do i do <laughs> uh, maybe i just not, won't have any wreaths this year but i like the idea of saying use white use whatever you got you know use whatever and, you got yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's another thing that, that brings to mind is that this is going to be a really different year for families to prepare for the holiday season you know, big get togethers with multiple families to bake and decorate and share cookies. That's off the schedule. What kinds of things can families do to keep that togetherness and connection to other strong families? Yeah. And I, I think that there's uh, one thing that can be really special during the Advent season and depending on the ages of of kids and uh, and folks in the family it can be a little bit different, but I think the liturgy of the hours during the Advent season are really beautiful. So the liturgy of the hours, as you know, Chris, are the uh, really the prayers of the church and the liturgy of the church uh, that goes on. Uh, all the priests and religious uh, pray that prayer of the church uh, throughout the day, every day of the year. And during the Advent season, we have some really uh, special prayers, particularly starting the 17th of December, which are called the O Antiphons. Um, and so we know that from like, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, uh, the, you know, kind of the great Advent hymn. But uh, it, it also, if you want to kind of enter in more deeply, you have the opportunity to really come together with the universal church through these, through what's called the liturgy of the hours. And, and like I said, there's some, some special prayers that are said during that Advent season. There are some books available for, especially that are good for lay people to help them understand the liturgy of the hours and kind of pray through those without actually having to go out and buy a, a breviary. But there are some, some good resources. Like I used to use one that uh, actually was in two volumes and it just went through the whole year and had you know, basically the, the parts of the liturgy, the hours that you needed to do, but some neat reflections in that, that I, that helped me as a lay person understand that. The other good thing would be that uh, when you talk about uh, readings and things like that, I have heard, you know, people recommend to start on December 1st and read a chapter of Luke every wow. day. There's 24 chapters. By the time you get to Christmas Eve, you've read Jesus's whole life story. Now, we're airing this show on December 6th, so some people are maybe a few days behind, but read the first six, catch up, and then, you know, or read a couple a day for a few days to catch up, and then uh, you'll be on your way to doing those kinds of things. Absolutely. And if you have the uh, little kids, too, like this year we're doing a, a, a fun examination of conscience for the family uh, through... Uh, my friends over at Catholic Sprouts, they've got a, a great little examination of conscience for little kids, uh, but also uh, some good resources for little ones would be like the uh, Catholic All Year is Good and then Carrots for Michael Moss. Uh, those three I tend to uh, tend to like for uh, for younger kids. I, I think there are some good stuff for adults uh, too, obviously. And I like the idea of of reading the whole way through through Luke during Advent as well. That's mm -hmm. a good good one. You know, in my family growing up, we made a big deal out of the feast of Saint Nicholas. We we didn't have a chimney, so we hung stockings on a on a broomstick that was put across a couple of chairs. But you know, we kind of made a big deal out of that. But the other interesting thing for Advent was that we had a a basket, a manger uh, on the top of the TV and next to it was a basket of straw. So Jesus wasn't there yet because it wasn't Christmas. But if we were good that day, we were allowed to put a piece of straw into the into the manger so that the idea would be with 10 kids, if we were all good all through Advent, Jesus would have a really nice bed come Christmas Eve. And so there was that kind of incentive to do well. 
what kind of traditions do you have in your family that, or that you've heard other families do that you think kind of bring this whole season to light? Yeah, so I, I've heard all sorts of uh, all all sorts of things. I, I think that really, I mean, our family does uh, Saint Nicholas, as you mentioned. Uh, December sixth uh, is is a great um, a great feast to celebrate, and particularly uh, as you're getting started, perhaps with the liturgical living, um, like kind of the idea of living out the liturgical year. That feast of Saint Nicholas and the uh, idea of of putting out your shoes. Um, uh, can, can be a fun, uh, a fun thing for the family to do. And that's something that we've definitely, um, we've definitely taken to heart, but I've heard, I, I really like what you're talking about, uh, cause it, it can kind of really think about, uh, Christmas, uh, through a, a religious lens and, and kind of preparing ourselves, preparing the space for Jesus, um, in the manger. I think that's really, really special. Cause I, I think sometimes we just lend towards, uh, the elf on the shelf or some, you know, these different sorts of things, which there's not anything the matter with them, but our, our Christian tradition just has such a rich, uh, dynamic, uh, history that we can, we can draw from. If you are interested in learning a little bit more about celebrating different kinds of traditions, the December issue of the Catholic Review, which uh, hit homes about a week ago, uh, has uh, some information about how to kind of adapt some of the the traditions to our current conditions. So uh, that's a good thing. What's your best advice for families preparing for Christmas this year? Yeah, I, I think that the the main thing would be just taking some time in prayer as a family, you know, I, I think that that's uh, the most essential thing is to just uh, stop a little bit and and take some time in prayer, right? There are different themes to the season of Advent, right? There's a theme of the second coming, of uh, preparing space uh, for Jesus and ourselves, uh, and kind of this, um, some of these Marian themes, uh, obviously, the the feast of the Immaculate Conception coming up, and I, I just think th- the importance of of pausing and coming together in prayer as a family is so essential. And I think it's really hard to do that. I think the pandemic, fortunately, has given us time to to pause. I've uh, heard a speaker talking about the pandemic as kind of this great pause, and I think that it does give us a little more of an opportunity to, to do that and to be able to pray as a, uh, as a family. But I, I think that that's really the most important advice I would give is just to pray together as a family. And whether that's something more regimented, like making sure you're doing the Advent wreath or the liturgy of the hours or, you know, whatever it may be, uh, even if it's just coming together for a short night prayer together, uh, I, I think can be a beautiful thing that can help uh, families to to grow uh, and to grow together and to grow in preparation for Christmas. This time together that we've had during the pandemic has probably strengthened some families and created some problems for others that being together all by themselves without, you know, without breaks uh, may have been tough on families. What kinds of resources does your office provide for people whose families are struggling? Definitely uh, look on our website at uh, archbalt.org. But we do have uh, some good resources uh, for families, for uh, marriages, uh, particularly if if marriages are 
uh, facing facing challenges, everything from uh, needing a little uh, extra support to uh, needing uh, more kind of counseling or uh, some sort of uh, d- different programs for for marriage retreats to to help for healing uh, that even can be done uh, during the uh, the pandemic through virtual settings or those sorts of things. So definitely go on the Archdiocese of Baltimore website, archbalt.org, um, and then look under marriage and family life. We have some of those. And then also uh, resources for being able to, to talk with children uh, about challenging issues, uh, which we have some resources for those as well. But just, just on the Archbalt resource uh, page would be, would be where to check that out. That's awesome. Very quickly, before we finish up, what's your favorite Advent tradition from when you were growing up? I grew up in in Texas, um, Hispanic, and so uh, uh, pan dulce, tamales, and trimming the tree essentially. So, uh, kind of uh, really that uh, that that Tex Mex flair down there. We'd always get uh, pan dulce is just uh, a Mexican sweet bread, uh, and so we'd go and get uh, the Mexican sweet bread. Uh, and have that while we're uh, decorating the tree, uh, Mexican hot chocolate, which has kind of a cinnamony taste. Uh, so I'm, I'm definitely looking for a place to get that up here in, in Maryland. But that was always uh, my favorite uh, family tradition. And it was uh, coincided with the, the trimming of the tree, which we would usually do pretty late uh, in, the, in the Advent season, just kind of keeping with the liturgical year also because that was usually the time that we finally got a tree. So, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of all those sights and sounds and smells are all tied up together for us. And that's a big part of, uh, of experiencing the, the season is to do that through all your senses. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we have been talking today with Edward Herrera, director of the Archdiocese of Baltimore office for marriage and family life about getting ready for the Christmas season. Thanks so much for joining us, Edward. Thank you. This is Chris Gunty. And you've been listening to Catholic Review Radio. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.